Welcome to the First Down Rundown podcast, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. And as you may be hearing, this is not your typical uh, entry here to to the podcast. You're not not, you're not not your typical host talking. That is because Hayden is uh, enjoying his spring break. That's right. He's down in Florida. He's living it up. Um, gotta love those college spring breaks. I never went on a big spring break trip uh, during college, so Hayden, I guess, is kind of taking that taking that journey for me. Uh, he will be back on Thursday. So I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday. Going to going to be published on Tuesday. Um, you know, most of you probably listen to it. You know, Tuesday, Thursday, or you know, Tuesday, Wednesday timing frame. We're going to do another episode this week on Thursday. So, and I know that you know the schedule's been a little bit messed up, messed up recently. But we're getting back on track in terms of at least for March Madness, we got to get as much out as we possibly can. Um, obviously, for today's kind of beginning of the week episode, that's why I'm here. And as you see in the title, there is a lot to get to. Um, a lot has happened in sports in the last, you know, week since we did the last podcast. Uh, so, which is good. You know, there's a lot to talk about. And, and, and some of the things, like, you know, you'll see, you know, some F1 on there, some golf, um, you know, some MLB stuff is just kind of rollover from, you know, the last few weeks, last month or so, just with updates and, and everything that's kind of gone on. And, and so that's why, you know, I, I kind of took the opportunity now to to talk about that stuff since, since you know, when, when Hayden's here, we kind of just do the bigger topics, you know, what's going on in, in kind of the, you know, the, the, the general vicinity of, you know, the, the, the here and now in terms of what's going on in sports during at that time. So, as you saw, like I said in the title, there's a lot to get to today. I'm not going to really waste too much more time. Obviously, we're going to have Hayden be able to recap his his um, his trip uh, when he gets back on Thursday, and then also I think I, I failed to mention or neglected to mention, but that next episode this 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 week is going to be a, your your full deep dive on conference tournaments, right? So so the big uh, the Power Five conference tournaments are actually starting today. The ACC starts today, uh, but we will have obviously kind of the rest of the conferences start kind of throughout the week here. Um, I, I don't think the Big Ten even starts until Friday. So uh, so that kind of Thursday episode might have a few games done for these uh, these beginning parts of of some of these conferences i know the big 12 starts on on thursday as well uh but but that way we're kind of going to be able to at least either take the results that have already you know had a, i would have will have already occurred or and or uh kind of just predict the entire bracket for all of the power five conferences uh we did the same thing last year it was super fun we we got some winners right hayden really nailed the big 10 last year had like iowa was like the five seed and had them going all the way and, and that you know that kind of came through so um so we'll be able to get kind of get get that done on Thursday when Hayden gets back. So uh, with that being said, let's go right into the NFL. You didn't have a uh, any type of edit or, or sound or anything in there because I didn't really learn how to do that. Hayden does all the behind, all the behind the scenes work uh, in terms of the intro music and as well as the transitions between topics. I don't really. I don't really do that. I just haven't, you know, we, again, we've done this basically this entire podcast has been uh, over Zoom for the last year and a half, ever since we kind of started doing it. And and so he kind of does everything on the back end. Um, you know, I do a lot of the research on the topics and kind of just, you know, present present the knowledge there forth. But uh, yeah, so, so it is just unedited, raw, completely just my voice for an hour straight, which I'm sure uh, everyone is going to be super excited to, uh, to look at here. So, right. So obviously the NFL topic for today, um, you saw it in the title. Well, we kind have two gonna briefly kind of talk about the Derek Carr thing to the Saints um otherwise the biggest news was that the NFL combine started well it, it occurred this past weekend um we got some pretty cool highlights uh had that cornerback from Michigan who who ran a 4 um 
defensive tackle from from Pittsburgh ran I think a four three nine or something that or for something the the second fastest defensive tackle uh 40 yard dash in, in the last you know however many years and the only other person to do that or the only person to run faster was Aaron Donald and you know ironically enough uh Aaron Donald also went to Pitt so we got some we got some great Pittsburgh defensive ends kind of coming out of coming out of college in the recent years here um but before this all of this you know all the all the other drama happened it was the QB drama okay and that was already starting even before the combine it was you know obviously you have Bryce Young and CJ Stroud who were kind of the you know the quintessential you know Played for the best teams, performed at the highest levels, played against the best teams as well, right? Uh, and, and then you kind of have your and, and you know were widely regarded as the more consistent quarterbacks, the actual kind of you know real quarterbacks who have actually played the position at the highest level against uh, against the best competition. And then you have kind of the wild cards, right? And Anthony Richardson and Will Levis who got hype as being kind of one of those, you know, could be one of those top uh, top draft picks, but, you know, you kind of have the athletic upside, and, and obviously we saw that a lot, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more here with, with uh, Anthony Richardson, but the athletic upside, but not necessarily the, you know, the, the, the passing power, the, the refined quarterback skills that a Bryce Young and a C.J. Stroud have kind of already proven uh, to show us out on the field in college and, and everything like that. So, um Obviously, like I said, Anthony Richardson shot off the board. Uh, Will Levis declined a little bit just because you know he didn't really wow anyone. Um, obviously, you know, still a, a great athlete. Um, and then, like I said, C.J. Stroud and, and Bryce Young faced some questions. Each of them kind of, you know, obviously they, they well. Bryce Young didn't even play, or he didn't even, you know, do any any uh, any drills or anything. He just weighed in. He got his 204 pounds, and he's good to go, right? He's like, I've shown everything I need to show. I don't want to be, you know, compared or, or or you know, talked about how short I am. Um, you know, we're just gonna kind of let let my let my tape speak for itself, which. Again, good move in my opinion, right? Because that guy has some has some pretty serious tape to be to be shown. C.J. Stroud, on the other hand, probably was the best performer in terms of quarterback passing metrics uh, at the combine this past weekend. He, I think, only missed like one throw the entire time he was on it. He was he was laser focused. Um, and, and again, you know, the size and the athletic ability. I think his his running upside, right, is is probably the only thing that's kind of lacking in his game. Uh, and and yeah, I think he was even asked that as as part of the kind of the one of the interview questions that the NFL team asked him was you know right what do you what do you say to the critics uh, when it comes to your ability to get outside the pocket not only make plays and you know passing down the field uh, once you're outside of the pocket but also just you know kind of making stuff happen with your legs and and I think that you know, again, that's that's a very coveted uh, trait nowadays in the NFL, just because of how much we do have quarterbacks with the ability to run it and just create plays with their feet, and and because you can get just get those those you know those marginal extra yards per play, or you know that that dive into the end zone uh, for a touchdown, where you know other quarterbacks who don't have the mobility mobility aspect might not be able to. You know, you're you're kind of one guy down in that circumstance. They're going to have to find a guy to get the ball to in that uh, in, in those situations. Um, and, and again, the whole thing, and you know, just in general, obviously, you know, with Will Levis and everything, um, it, before before the combine, you know, during the season, and and, and all of that, um, it, it was kind of like, you know, what do we do with this, right? And so that was kind of the question that I wanted to tackle here: is what do we do with this uh, information from the draft, as well as you know, kind of comparing it to the pre-draft uh, stuff, and, and then also kind of how will this well pre-draft pre-combine is what I meant to say um and then obviously how are the how is all of this kind of going to impact the NFL draft itself like I said 
you you know what you're getting from Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Obviously, Bryce Young is shorter. He's he's just a smaller kid. Um, but again, he played at Alabama. He started as a freshman. Uh, he won the championship as a freshman. Uh, and, and so I, I think that you know if if that's if that's the case, right? If that's well, actually, he didn't win a championship. I don't know what I'm talking about. He he. He performed at the best of his ability. He won an SEC championship. He did not win the national championship as as they were leading that game, and then Georgia ended up taking it from them. Um, but either way, he was kind of the reason that Alabama was even there to begin with. I mean, you got to remember that Auburn game, you know, way back when. Um, you know, they're down a touchdown on their own two yard line with like a minute and a half left, and it's like he he not not a bead of sweat uh, dripped down his face on his way to to winning that game, getting the two point conversion. Uh, you know, it just it's just crazy stuff that he was able to do. It, same thing this year in the Texas game. You might remember. You know, Alabama only won by, I think, one point or two points. Uh, but Texas was actually winning for a lot of that game, and they needed Bryce Young to, you know, make a play. He had to drive down the field with one drive left and, and kick a field goal to win it. Um, and he did just that, right? He used his legs. He, he did everything he could or did everything he had to do. And I think that's that's the overarching point here is the fact that he's so poised in the pocket. He's he's, he's accurate. He can throw the deep ball. Um, you know, obviously he can use his legs. He he doesn't well, he doesn't run first, right? And, and and he's a little bit smaller, so I think that's kind of the more of the reason why he doesn't. Uh, but you definitely want to you know kind of see him in the light of you know th- you got to appreciate everything he did right especially playing too playing in the SEC it's that's the hardest conference of football you're playing against the best teams and you know what he, he lost like three games uh, you know his, his whole time there uh, so that kind of all combined and, and two I think the biggest thing is that especially you know when you had your kind of Jalen Hurts of the world and Tua Tagovailoa they are great quarterbacks, and obviously we're seeing them succeed in the NFL, you know, to a great extent. But you also had the receivers. I mean, in a, in a span of three years, I think there were five first round or top ten receivers taken from from Alabama alone. I mean, you have your you know Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, um, you know the, the the list goes on. Jamison Williams last year. So there's so many opportunities, so many receivers that they had uh, kind of going for them in that in that you know three to five year span. Whereas really, when Bryce Young was playing, obviously you know you had Jalen uh, Jamison Williams last year. But by and large, that was kind of – he was – Jameson Williams was kind of the only guy last year. And this year, you don't even have one. I mean, I don't think, you know, there's even going to be an Alabama receiver drafted this year. Um, obviously, they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit younger. But I think that just goes to show that, you know, he, he was kind of doing everything with not the, not the supporting cast that you're used to with a quarterback coming out of Alabama. So I am, I am full going Bryce Young. Obviously, his size is, is, is going to be uh, an interesting, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that, right? You compare him to, to people like Russell Wilson, to people like Drew Brees and Kyler Murray, guys who are extremely athletic and that kind of, or, and, or, you know, are masters of reading defenses and knowing the game so well, which can overcome, right? Which can compensate for the, their lack of size. I think it's going to be, we're just going to kind of have to see, right? Um, and even with that, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Russell Wilson, he, he, he they're all kind of thicker, I think is kind of the, 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 at the end of the day, what you're looking for is because if you're a little bit shorter, but you can take hits, right? And, and you have, you know, kind of some meat on your bone to be able to sustain those, you know, those, those, insanely large humans who are going to be coming after you with all of their weight and, and height and force and speed. Um, and so if you can take those hits, you know, make it worth it, right? Russell Wilson's a perfect example. Like he didn't even really get hurt like for an extended period of time until he basically, he broke his thumb last year or well, the, the year before um, when, it, when he was with Seattle for his last year there. And that's really the first time he got hurt. I mean, they had the, that entire run, you know, he won a Super Bowl, got to another Super Bowl, lost in the, at the final second. Uh, but you know, the whole Legion of Boom thing. And, and he, he played through all of that. 
Drew Brees, same situation. I think, you know, he had shoulder injuries kind of here and there towards the end of his career. But Hall of Famer, he, you know, obviously Brady passed him with all the passing records. But the base, basically the guy that Brady passed for all those passing records, it was previously Drew Brees, right? And, and so, you know, he had, what, a 15, 16-year career. Obviously won a Super Bowl as well. Um, you know, was close to winning another one. So, there's there's these guys and Kyler, you know, I think is probably the last the last the most recent um, comparison to a guy like Bryce Young. Kyler is, though, an alien of an athlete. I mean, I mean, just seriously, like he was drafted number one overall in the NFL and the MLB drafts. It's never happened before. The only other guy to even be drafted in the first round, I think, is John Elway um, in, in both the MLB and the NFL drafts. So Kyler Murray just is 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 a is a freak athlete to begin with, and we saw just his you know his ability to be twitchy and runny, um, you know, wherever he was able to. But then you see the negative effects of that, right? He you know. He goes down in the game, in the Monday night game against San Francisco this this past year, and he's out for the rest of the year. Got a torn ACL, right? He's he dealt with shoulder injuries and ankle injuries in the past, and I think that's the biggest deal with Bryce Young is like, is he going to be able to stay healthy? We'll kind of you know we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, obviously, went way longer than I thought I was going to go on Bryce Young. I was more more using this uh, this this topic to talk about Anthony Richardson and Will Levis quickly on on Stroud. Like I said, he he did everything that he was going to do. Um, he was the most accurate passer. He was the best passer of the football. We kind of knew that though, just because of how well he had played. And again, same age as Bryce Young. These guys you know started as true freshmen, and you know here they are in the NFL draft already two years later. Um, C.J. Stroud definitely benefited from not only having an like one of the most outstanding wide receiver cores, you know, in, in the history of college football, uh, both of the years, right? Last year and this year, obviously, um, you know, you, you can't go wrong with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, um, obviously, Garrett Wilson, offensive rookie of the year, for who played for the Jets and, you know, basically one of the most, you know, laughable franchises, still got offensive rookie of the year. Um, and then Chris Olave as well, who was basically the second choice to offensive rookie of the year. Um, so that was last year, right? This year, Smith and Jigma didn't even play, but you still had Emeka Abuka. You you still had. Um I'm trying to think of the other guy, but obviously Marvin, uh, there's another guy in addition to Marvin Harrison Jr. who is already the best wide receiver in college football and still has to play another year of football because he's not eligible, you know, because he's, because he's too young. The other thing, right, with these Ohio State quarterbacks is the fact that they're just in this amazing offensive system. And yes, too, right? Like I said, that, you know, that you have, you have pieces around them, the receivers and the running backs that help them get to this, you know, crazy offensive ceiling. But the system works so well, right? It's this it's this veer and shoot system, which is essentially, you know, right, you, you step back to pass. If your first read isn't there, you're going to have your second read either open or you're going to run. And I, and I think that and, – and because the offense's scheme – so and Ryan Day, who's the head coach of, of Ohio State, he got there because he was the offensive coordinator under Urban Meyer after they won the championships and Urban Meyer retired or, well, decided to go to the Jaguars and that didn't work out. Ryan Day was essentially the interim head coach, uh, but they just been, ended, up, ended up hiring him because his offensive scheme teams are so you know so good it just makes everything work so well for an offense and and so the, the biggest question with CJ Stroud is like he has all the intangibles he has all of the you know he 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 can read defenses he knows how to be a quarterback but it's it's one of those things where if everything is given to you so easily not only because of the system that Ryan Day developed but also because of the wide receivers and just the you know the immense talent that you have at that at that position you you, you kind of face some scrutiny as to, okay, well, what happens when it's all a level playing field in the NFL? It, or it's it's even tougher because you have to read de- an NFL defense. And that's, you know, again, completely different than, you know, playing Rutgers on the on the, on the the fourth Saturday in November, right? Um, so so that it's just a, it's a complete step, in, step up in class. And although he has the best skills out of any quarterback in this draft, the question is, with what he did in college, because it seems so easy, you know, will that – 
easiness transfer into okay, he can actually still do it at the NFL level, or he's going to need to kind of really learn how to read defenses and, and, and how to perform at the highest level because that's really what this is going to going to come down to. Um, and then obviously, like I said, Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson stole the show, right? I mean, just just straight up and down. Um, you know, he, he, he broke the record for the highest uh, – well <laughs> – Highest high jump uh, that a quarterback has ever recorded at the Combine. He ran a 4-4 flat, uh, which is, I think, the fastest, I guess, I'm not even, I think probably the fastest among quarterbacks ever written, uh, ever run. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure. I saw the, all the stats and stuff over the weekend. But obviously, right, an athletic freak, right, um, which is what we knew coming in. And then that's, I think, where a little bit people, are, you, you begin to see the difference between people who watch college football and people who watch, well, College football and the NFL, because college, people who watch college football obviously watch the NFL, uh, and then there's people who only watch the NFL and don't give a look about college. And, and obviously, you know us here on the First Time Rundown podcast. To go with our theme, I have a college football segment in this podcast, all right? It's the middle of March, and we're talking about college football. That's how you know that we care about all the sports in general. But I think that just kind of to to break that down in what in terms I meant of, of Anthony Richardson – he wasn't that good, <laughs> okay? Uh, he was, again, he flashed, right? He had those 80-yard touchdown runs, those 75-yard touchdown runs. Um, he had those bombs, you know, 65-yard on a laser uh, down the middle of the field. But but you're, you're kind of just waiting for the intangibles to kick in. He He's not a very accurate passer. Yes, he can throw the ball a mile, but... You know, if he's completing one out of every twenty of those passes, now it's probably a you know a, a better statistic or better uh, better percentage than that. But either way, if you're only you know converting on one of every however many of those those chances, is that really kind of something that you can you know consistently rely on as as you know him being a quarterback of an NFL team? And so I think that. At least I want to present the thesis, and again, we're going to get into all the draft, you know, nonsense. Obviously, kind of, you know, after March Madness here, it's going to go straight into the NFL draft. We're going to have NFL draft topics. Uh, we're going to have, you know, deep dives on players, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, you know, whatever, defensive players, and everything like that. We did a, a whole mock draft, mock NFL draft last year. Uh, that was super. That was a great episode. So we're going to do all this. I'm just kind of getting the disclaimer out there of here's what we're dealing with. Right. And, and, and which is the fact that Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson might be the best or most overall athletically gifted quarterback that we've ever seen at a combine. Okay. But not necessarily the most athletically gifted quarterback that we've ever seen play in the NFL, because that's the thing is he has to be good. He has to improve. There's a lot to improve on. Um, mainly with his accuracy, right? And, and that's kind of what we see a lot of these gunslinger-type quarterbacks coming out of college who, who aren't as accurate. They can learn, or they might not, right? And, and in a case, and I think obviously Josh Allen is kind of the biggest comparison to to a guy like Anthony Richardson or, you know, kind of what, what people are saying at least. And you look at, you know, you look at the ceiling that Josh Allen had, and he almost exceeded that, right? It was, it was hey, we're going to take a chance on this guy – he has the, all the intangibles. He can run. He has a, a cannon for an arm. And if he can just kind of learn how to be an accurate passer and read defenses, then he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And that's exactly what happened, okay? But you got to think that that's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime or, you know, once-in-a-million chance. Obviously, it's happened to other quarterbacks before, but not in the, I think, in, the, in a similar vein that it happened with Josh Allen 
um, you know, in, the, in these past few years. So, but again, that's what you're hoping for. That's the ceiling because you saw a Buffalo Bills team that was kind of on the precipice of the playoffs. You know, t- uh, they actually did make the playoff with Tyler, Tyrod Taylor the year before they drafted Josh Allen. But now the Bills are, are, are a perennial Super Bowl favorite, right? And that is what a quarterback who completely changes his game and, and, and actually reaches the potential that he had pre-draft, that's what happens to a team when a guy like that is able to convert, okay? Now, again, it takes coaching. It takes a lot, right? You know, obviously, Brian Dable was a big part of Josh Allen's ascent into that role that he's kind of gotten to now. And we saw this year, this past year, where you don't have a Brian Dable, well, the place that Brian Dayball was and, and Daniel Jones actually really did improve, whereas, you know, Josh Allen kind of, you know, left a little bit to be desired there, and he still threw kind of those red zone interceptions and, and everything that we kind of saw that he had gotten away from, you know, for in his first couple of years. Anthony Richardson is, is, is kind of the same type of prospect. And I'm even going to throw Will Levis in here. I mean, obviously, I am probably in the bag for Will Levis is, is, the, is number four, like, the 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 worst prospect quarterback prospect of all of these guys. I don't know why he got so much hype. I get it. He's really strong and he's a gym rat and okay, cool and and, and whatever. But he, I mean, he like he didn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State. Okay, and again, here we go back back to the college thing. He didn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State. All right, and then he had a transfer to Kentucky, and last year he played at Kentucky, and they were okay. I think they went eight and five, um, but their offense was 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 horrible. Now the offensive line, I think, is the biggest kind of you know piece to blame for that. But like they weren't putting up numbers. They weren't you know he he didn't have those flash plays, those highlight reel plays like an Anthony Richardson did. So that's where I'm at with Will Levis. I, I'm like you got to you got to show me more. And again, he is a high ceiling, low floor type of guy. He might flame out and never actually play a second in the NFL. He also might be. The guy who's able to turn around an NFL team. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that he can't. I'm just saying that based on what I've seen, he's getting a lot of hype for something that he hasn't really shown yet, right? At least you have the highlight plays from Anthony Richardson to show that to show that okay, he's done it at some point, right? And and Will Levis has has a good you know some some good some good plays on tape, but I, I think that just the you know the, the the consistency with which you're going to be showing that athleticism and 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 showing your arm strength and everything has to be mirrored by the improvement of your ability to read a defense, your knowledge of football, as well as just throwing accurate passes, right? And again, like I said, that was the biggest thing that Josh Allen had to do, and he did it, right? And his first year was was not pretty, <laughs> you know? Um, which is why I think that is almost even even more crazy of a scenario and just an anomaly in general is the fact that they stuck him out there, he sucked, and then he just they kept it out there. They kept him with Ryan Dayball, and he got better, right? And that's, I think, kind of the craziest part about his transformation where a guy like Patrick Mahomes – Right, same deal. Gunslinger out of college, you know, had throw for like threw for like 750 yards in, in in one game when he was at Texas Tech. Um, Andy Reid saw those intangibles. He saw those package of, of talents that, that that Mahomes had, but he knew that he didn't. He wasn't ready to be an NFL quarterback, so he drafted him. Had Alex Smith kind of mentor him for a year and a half, and then put Patrick Mahomes in, and, and now he's you know quite possibly on 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 the path to to, to Tom Brady level goatness, right? Um, but similar stuff, and that's why my takeaway from this is I think that. And again, I'm a proponent for for leaving every college quarterback to sit for a year just to learn and and just and and take in as much as they possibly can. But especially with guys like Levis and Richardson, you cannot stick them as a starting quarterback of an NFL team who doesn't have that many assets to begin with. Because again, the guys who are going at the top, at the you know the front of the draft are by and large going to be teams that don't have that much talent on the team, right? To guys, to teams that were not in the playoffs last year, aside from obviously the Seahawks and the Eagles, who really kind of, you know, overturned their roster and did a great job of, of, of having playoff success as well as, you know, kind of kind of cashing in on these on these on these early picks here. 
But that's what I'm thinking, right? Is 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 you're you're going to have to take a quarterback, or you know, the teams that do take quarterbacks, you can't expect Anthony Richardson. You can't put him out there day one, first play. And, and if you do, you have to expect him to not be that good. And again, Josh Allen wasn't right. They they weren't that good, and, and you know, he had a lot of hate coming for him, and he turned it around. I just think though, it's a lot easier to have a quarterback sit for in a year, year, you know, maybe two years, learn everything behind the scenes, throw the guy out there, let him make his mistakes because you're just you're it's inherent that you're going to go you're you are going to do that when you get into an NFL game, but you have the years of preparation in your past to be able to know how to overcome those things when you get to them whereas if you're just out there, you know, as a raw talent in the first or second year, it's it's probably not going to look at that good too. And you got to think too with, with a guy like Anthony Richardson, he only played a year and a half in college, right? So there was he was actually the backup two years ago as a starter. He came in the back half of the season and, and was you know was really good. He got hurt at the end of the season and then obviously you know played the whole year last year. But Florida wasn't anything great, right? Similar to Kentucky, it's like these teams weren't really competing for SEC championships. They weren't even at the top of the SEC East, right? That was Georgia and Tennessee all the way. So. The quarterbacks of the teams didn't really play that well, and they were in college and not even didn't even play, you know, for that that long of a time. And and you know, here they are. So um, I, I don't know. I think that's obviously I went a little bit longer on on this topic, but I think it's worth it to just kind of get through at least my initial takes on the the, the four quarterbacks in the draft. Like I said, we're going to do a lot more NFL draft stuff um, coming up here. Obviously, I think the draft is, is, is about, you know, a month and a half or so uh, from now. So, going to have plenty of time to kind of go over that stuff. But just wanted to get my, my initial thoughts and reactions to the Combine, at least. May even have Hayden kind of weigh in on his stuff, uh, even though I, I doubt that he was watching the Combine because he was uh, in, in, in Florida kind of living it up there. Um, Derek Carr, quickly, not going to spend too much time on it. I think it's a good trade for the Saints. Um, I just think that it's, you know, we, we've seen the Derek Carr thing now for what, you know, seven, eight years uh, since he came into the league. And how much have we really, you know, been able to say this guy is a, is a, is a franchise changing quarterback. I don't, I don't know. It just, it hasn't been, we haven't seen that from him. We've seen the good, we've seen the bad. And, 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 you know, there's been upside. There was that one year where he was almost an MVP candidate. You know, they, they led this team to the playoffs and everything. Um, but he hasn't done much outside of that. And I think that – and he's had weapons around him, right? You had the Darren Waller stuff. Obviously, you know, the kind of the, the Henry Ruggs thing was was uh, was unfortunate. But, you know, they've had all right receivers. The, you know, the, obviously, Brandon Jacobs – or Josh Jacobs has been there um, the whole time and, and, and a beast, right? You know, 1,000 yards basically every year guaranteed. And, and But it's just like that, that, that extra gear of, like, awesome, amazing quarterback play is really just not a part of his game, which, again – that's fine, all right? That's the kind of guy he is. Cool. Um, but the thing is, where – and again, coaching is everything in really every realm of sports. College basketball, coaching is, you know, everything, right? Um, obviously, same with the NFL. And I think that's going to really be the key here because you had Josh McDaniel. well, you had, obviously, you know, John Gruden before uh, Josh McDaniels, and, and the whole John Gruden thing wasn't good. And clearly, you know, he was saying things behind closed doors that, that weren't – that great, and so I'm not surprised that that kind of whole situation didn't really work out there. But he was supposed to be a quarterback whisperer, right? Okay, fine. You know, Josh McDaniels. He he was the he was the mastermind behind Brady and Belichick's success. Uh, you know, those 20 years in New England. Josh McDaniels get his chance gets his chance to go to to go to Vegas and and, and kind of coach up and and play with with uh, with Derek Carr. And what did that turn into? That turned into a very bad. What did they go five and eleven, five and twelve this year. Um, bottom of the well, I think they 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 weren't as bad as the Broncos, but um, you know third in the third in the AFC West. Obviously, the Chargers and the Chiefs are are pretty good, right? But still. 
this team was supposed to compete. They went out and they got, you know, guys on, on defense and, and added pieces. Um, and, and so, and obviously Devontae Adams was a huge add, right? And we saw him do well, but I don't know. It just, it just didn't seem to me like Derek Carr was, was kind of the man there. Um, so going to a team like New Orleans who has pieces on the offensive side and obviously, you know, a, a pretty solid defense as well, I think is going to help New Orleans. I don't think Derek Carr is going to be your answer as to making a playoff run, though, uh, which at the end of the day, that's kind of all that matters. Now, here's the deal, right? And this is where I think it is very much a positive for Saints fans is the fact that that division is horrible. That is the worst division in football right now. You have the Panthers who just fired, you know, well, fired Matt Rule at the beginning of the season last year, had, you know, another guy. Um, and Steve Wilkes as the head coach for most of the year, and then just kind of moved on from him, and and now you got Frank Reich up there, and there's no quarterback there, right, in, in Carolina. They're kind of in, in, in rebuild mode. Um, and then obviously the Falcons have kind of been in re- rebuild mode for a while now, but you still, you know, now you kind of have your young quarterback. They got rid of Marcus Mario. Now it's, you know, it's Desmond Ritter's turn, so they're going to kind of see what they have in him, right? And then the Buccaneers obviously have kind of blown up ever since Tom Brady left, and, you know, and, and, and obviously Kyle Trask is basically going to be their starter who, you know, what – they're they're in full rebound rebuild mode now. So and Todd Bowles as as a head coach has not really proven to be what uh, what he has what or what he can be as a defensive coach. Either way, the Saints even like looking at it top down right now, even without without Derek Carr, we're probably the best team in that division. Now that you have Derek Carr, you are. I mean, <laughs> if they don't if they don't win the division, it'll be a very uh, it'll be a travesty there in in New Orleans. So that I think is kind of your 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 bright side here is the fact that this is basically your guarantee to win that division, go to the playoffs, right? Um, and I think they signed him to a four year deal with a hundred million hundred million dollars guaranteed. Not huge, right? But obviously, kind of a a good quarterback for a guy like Derek Carr who. Again, it might happen, and he still has enough time left to where he can actually, you know, kind of turn around his career. It might work, uh, but but I just think that you know he he hasn't been very impressive. He's just been so just inconsistent with his ups and downs. Um, you know, he's had great great ups, and but he's had really bad floors or you know really bad bads, <laughs> um, in a, in a in a very simplistic way to put it. Uh, so so yeah, so that's my take on it. Again, I I don't think that he's the savior there, but I definitely do think that this this makes a Saints team that we're probably the least dysfunctional team in that division uh even even better right which is which is a good sign for at least kind of you know being control of that division being able to make the playoffs um you know and kind of who knows what can happen from there so that is the end of the nfl topics for for right now um and then just kind of going back down the list here Drive to Survive and Full Swing. Um, those were kind of the the uh, you know the the, the hit Netflix series docu series uh, sport things that, that that released in the last couple months here. Obviously, um, Full Swing was kind of I think that was about a month ago at this point. Um, and Drive to Survive. Well, I think they both kind of came out right around the same time. But Drive to Drive to Survive obviously comes out kind of right before um, the season starts every year. So it's kind of a review of last season. Okay, here's everything that happened, and then now you can kind of get back into the into the um, you know into the into the first weekend of the F1 season for this year which again you know that that's everybody says f1 or you know drive to survive is the best kind of docuseries for for sporting and everything um you know that that and now everybody's trying to copy them you know obviously you have full swing which i think was was probably better you had a tennis one um i think it's called Breakpoint, uh and then they're gonna do a quarterback one too it's gonna be patrick mahomes kirk cousins and um marcus mariota i think and ironically, again, it's funny that, you know, Marcus Marietta was cut. So it's like, all right, well, <laughs> going to do a Netflix show on a guy who doesn't have a job. That's, that's really great. Um, so, but Drive to Survive did it, right? They were the first ones to do it. They nailed it. They knocked it out of the park. And they are still, it is still the most popular kind of, you know, sporting docuseries. And, and again, it's it's what brought F1 to America. Uh, Hayden and, and me and my dad and, and my kind of my family, my immediate circle here, 
we've been watching F1 for quite literally my entire life. Um, you know, my, my, my dad, it's all the way back to the speed. There was a channel called Speed. Uh, it was called the Speed Channel, and they used to broadcast the F1 races uh, over there. Uh, there was a track in Indianapolis, which is no longer even on the circuit anymore. Uh, you know, obviously now have three other races in the U.S. But anyway, just to kind of show that, obviously, yes, this has been, I've been a fan of F1 my entire life, you know, completely, uh, you know, irregardless of, of how popular the Netflix Netflix series has gotten. But that said, I still watched it, right? I, I watched uh, I watched the Netflix series uh, Drive to Survive season, I guess it was season five, which is actually kind of crazy how, um, you know, how... Uh, how many years they've been doing this at this point, which is, which is, I think pretty cool. Um, it was, it was good. It was great. Um, obviously it always is. And it just is because of the, in the inherent drama. That's, and then again, that's what this all comes down to, right? There's a reason why the Kardashians TV show is so popular. There's a reason why, you know, 90 day fiance is always on TLC, right? It's because it's all drama and you just, people want to watch drama and, and you get invested in the characters and what happens. And that's exactly what drive to survive does, right? Because there is so much drama in the sport that is just the outside side of the whole just the racing right obviously the racing is fun and it's cool to watch and that's kind of what I you know what kind of got me into the sport in general I didn't really follow the, the outside drama but now that we have social media and 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 you know Netflix and, and streaming networks and everything that allow you to see into that drama it just makes it all the much better so um, I'm not going to do like an episode by episode review um that would be uh that would be way too long <laughs> but but just overall thoughts I I, I liked I liked it. I think it was it was good that they showed because again, you know, you obviously you have the team principles, um, and then obviously the drivers, and and that's kind of where you get into, um, you know, the team principle is is kind of, you know, he represents the team, and he he's he's the head boss for for each of these ten teams, and then you have obviously the ten, the 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 two drivers for each team who you know, kind of work for the same team, but are really have to perform in order to keep their seat because again, it's similar to the NFL or any other any other sport where. You know, you can have a contract and you can be part of a team, but that doesn't mean that that team is 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 bound to you, right? It's we always say it all the time. It's it's a business. Sports is a business, and if you don't perform up to the standards that you think that your boss thinks that you will perform, you might not be there anymore. And it's very very like much like that um, in Formula One. I think one of the biggest things that I noticed, at least from this past season, was the whole Mick Schumacher drama. And obviously, you know, if you know anything about Formula One or, or anything in history, uh, Michael Schumacher is Mick Schumacher's dad. Michael Schumacher was is probably Probably well, but I guess the Lewis, I think Lewis Hamilton's probably taking the taking the cake at this point. But Michael Schumacher before Lewis Hamilton's extreme uh, run back in the in the in the late twenty teens, uh, Michael Schumacher was the best driver in Formula One history. I mean, he he won. I think I think he won. I think he won. He won seven. Uh, I think he was seven, maybe six uh, drivers' championships across from I think nineteen ninety seven to two thousand four or something like that. Um, he was dominant. He wrote here, you know, Ferrari car, everything uh, was just was just awesome when he was there. And obviously, so his son now is kind of in the game and and, you know, and, and rising up and he won F2, which is kind of your I mean, which is it's, just, it's, it's genius. Why Europeans do everything so much better than Americans? It's like we have like, you know, the NFL and, and college football and the NBA and the G League. It's like, why can't we just do NBA one and NBA two? Right. That would make so much more sense. That's what F1 does. Right. F1 and F2. It, it's very simple. Very, uh, very. Very simple and, and easy to understand there, but uh, but yeah. So Mick Schumacher was great. He was he was coming up. He was, he was racing. He won F two. You know, gets to F one and and 
kind of struggled a little bit, right? Now, obviously, a part of that was because he was with Haas, who was one of the who's been one of the worst uh, teams over the last you know four or five years ever since Mick Schumacher got into uh, F1. But they really went into detail about kind of what was happening behind the scenes. And again, why it's important to watch a show like this because if you're looking at it from a bird's eye view of just watching the races last season, you saw Mick Schumacher. You know, he had he 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 wasn't really ever in the points, right? He wasn't getting top ten finishes or anything like that. He had a couple weeks where he was you know around the twelfth or thirteenth, but you you can't expect a guy like that to be scoring points in a car like that. But again, here, you know, in comes Kevin Magnuson, who was another big part of the, you know, of this of this past season. A guy who hadn't driven, I think, for two or three years comes into Haas, who was the worst team in the, in, the, in you know in, in entire F one, and I think he scored points in his first race. And you're going, wait, what? You know, this guy kind of came out of nowhere. Obviously, he has a great driving experience, but hasn't been in F one for years now, and he's he's doing well. Like you know, he's performing like this, and that I think was kind of the 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 sad part about the whole Mick Schumacher thing is that they really realize like, okay, hold on, if our car is capable, because someone else right is is actually scoring points in this car, if our car is capable of doing that. What does it say about Mick Schumacher and the kind of driver he is, right? And obviously, you're making a step up in class, and it's 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 tough. It's the big leagues, right? You're, I mean, you got to you got to perform when you're in you know a seat like that. And then they they kind of detailed too, like you know all the damages that he that he you know he would he would crash the car. It would cost them millions and millions of dollars to you know fix the parts and or you know build another engine or whatever they needed to do to kind of um, you know overcome his his losses there. Um, that was really interesting, I think, and again, too, kind of detailing, even, even with teams that have, they know they have no chance of even scoring a point or competing for anything close to the, to the Constructors' Championship every year, there's so much drama even in and around, uh, you know, a team like Haas, who, um, you know, again, not, it's, it's American-owned, so not surprising that we're finishing last there, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think that was still very interesting, just kind of see that the rise and fall of Mick Schumacher, who now, is I think he's a reserve driver for uh, for Mercedes. So you know if something happens to one of the Mercedes drivers, you know Mick Schumacher can can step in. Let's see what he does there, right? So hopefully he'll get another chance. But you know obviously just really interesting to kind of watch that whole uh, that whole thing. Uh, go down obviously you know a big part of it too was you know kind of the Mercedes dominance has come to an end right we saw that um well you know two years ago technically it was it was um when um when uh and they showed this at the beginning when Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton were you know back and forth all season long and it was kind of come down to Abu Dhabi in the last race of the season and you know Max Max Verstappen's able to beat Lewis Hamilton kind of end Hamilton's run of I think six straight uh drivers championships um that was really cool, right? And they showed that again. I think that was kind of a cool memory to kind of look back on and say, "Oh yeah, you know, this is what happened two years ago." Obviously, you know, last year it was it was it was dominance by Red Bull. You know, Hamilton, and then that's what they showed is like he was the car just wasn't really built right. You had a ton of regular. You got to remember at the beginning of last season, you had a ton of regulations changes, basically overhauling the entire you know how you built the car the you know how the engine was to look and and you know the 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 carbon fiber on the sides and how that was designed like all of that had to be changed and there was also a cost cap involved where you know each team could only spend a certain amount of money on developing a car and the systems and everything and the the aerodynamics um, that were going to run and and Mercedes kind of just missed on it right and we saw that in the porpoising which is again we talked about this we actually talked about this a lot in the podcast last year when we started to see Mercedes kind of kind of struggle a little bit more than we're used to the more than what we're used to seeing them do uh was porpoising was the issue where the car was essentially it's 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 close it's too close to the ground that when you go over bumps and stuff it it rocks as a whole uh you know 
basically just rocks back and forth. And so you saw all those images of George Russell and Lewis Hamilton basically just bouncing. Their head looked like basketballs. I mean, they're bouncing up and down in their cars. You saw Lewis get out of the car in one of his episodes, and like he's he's like crawling out of the car. And again, these guys are obviously they're driving cars, but they are supreme athletes. I mean, you are in you are driving 200 miles an hour in you know 100 degree weather for two and a half hours straight, and not only all of that, not only do you have to withstand all of that, but you have to have a racing mentality of I could literally die every second, right? I mean, these guys are extreme athletes, and 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 you just see Lewis like, you know, inching his way out of the car because his spine like can't handle the stress of what this car is doing to him. That again, that another great kind of we noticed it obviously because, like I said, we talked about the podcast and everything, but seeing it in the in the doc in the you know in the docu series and just kind of everything that he went through and all of the you know kind of the the rules changes that, that implemented because of that was really cool. And then two, one of my favorite scenes actually was probably. Um, it was there was a, a meeting with the, the all the team principals had a meeting uh, kind of halfway through the season when you're able to make regulations changes during the season and you had Total Wolf who is the team principal at Mercedes basically just go off on all the other team principals basically being like you know this this rule this whole purpose porpoising thing needs to be outlawed like we need to have regulation changes that change the porpoising rules and, and you know because you know my dri- I have to stick up for my drivers they're feeling terrible this is this you know there's it's it's crazy that you know the F1 is going to be letting us go you know go on like this and then you basically have Christian Horner who's the team principal for Red Bull was basically like okay, but you sucked at designing your car, so why should we change the regulations for you? And that was like, and everybody goes silent, and every, you know, Total Wolf keeps yelling and whatever. Um, and that was just one of those those crazy scenes where it's like, this stuff is real, man. Like, this is happening, you know, in, in, in one of the biggest, most dramatic racing sports in the in the world. Well, the, the premier racing sport in the entire world. And it's just like these guys yelling at each other in, in, a, in a room in some white chairs, you know? Um, which, I, again, I, th- I found really cool, but I think, too, is just it, it really brings – into a sense of like how real this thing really is, which I think is cool. You know, I, I really like that. Um, so yeah, so definitely obviously a great, you know, I, I love drive to survive. I always love watching it. Um, I think it was really good. Uh, just, you know, kind of watching this series, obviously too, kind of one thing I, I, I forgot to mention so far, but kind of what I'll end on here is, is the whole Ferrari thing. Um, you know, they, they, I think they qualified first or they, you know, took pole position. And I think 12 of the 22 races last season, something like that, you know, over half, um, at least. And obviously we saw, they came in second in the driver's champion or constructor's championship, um, but never really competed with Red Bull kind of after those first three or four races of the season, mostly due to the team strategy errors, right? We saw Leclerc won, I think two of the first three races. And it was like, Oh my God, not only is someone well, not only has has kind of Mercedes been overtaken by Red Bull, but now the Red Bull dominance seems to almost be in jeopardy, and, and Max Verstappen might actually be losing this drivers' championship to a guy like Charles Leclerc, who you know has been brought up in the Ferrari family and been kind of the you know the cornerstone of that franchise for however long now. Well, I mean, it's only been like four or five years since he's been in F one, but you know he's here, he's doing it, and then you just see the absolute collapse this team underwent. Um, you know, again largely due to strategic errors that caused on by the you know the team principal Mattia Bonato uh, had been the team principal there for I think for I don't know I guess four or five years something like that um just kind of I don't know you, you see him with his curly hair and he's always kind of like oh you know talking in his Italian accent I'm not gonna be able to do it now but just just it just it's like is there is there any is there any will here is there any like you know excitement that hey you know we can actually win this thing uh it just seemed like not and obviously you saw kind of the you know in Monaco everything kind of came to a came to a head when 
I think Sergio Perez um, took pole on Monaco the whole weekend. It was it was raining, and again, Monaco, as we know, is you know basically impossible to pass anyone anyway. So you're kind of like, yo, if you're a Ferrari, you got it. You know, you got to get the lead. You got to take the lead, and, and or at least challenge for it because I think Sergio Sergio something happened to Sergio's car. He's um, I don't I don't even remember. He had a tire issue or something like that. But he was he was very much limping to the finish. Ferrari's like, okay, we got this. You know, we're gonna take control. We're gonna win this race. And then they bring both drivers into pit lane at the same time, and they're waiting behind each other. Like, what is going on? They lose twenty seconds to Red Bull, and Sergio Perez wins the Monaco Grand Prix. And at that moment, it's just like, oh my god! Like th- this is not. Are you even talking to each other? Like, what is going on? Again, these guys are paid millions of dollars. These cars cost hundreds of millions of dollars. There's so much money behind these teams and everything that goes into the testing and you know, making sure that everything's right. And again, this is the premier racing sport in the entire world. And you guys aren't talking about when the drivers are coming to the pit lane. Like, what are we doing? So that was also kind of my, you know, interesting part. And obviously that was more, I think, played out more in real time when watching the season last year is definitely something that I think, you know, they, they kind of just replayed a lot of those scenes. It wasn't necessarily a lot of behind the scenes, which you do, you know, normally do get with the drive to survive stuff. But I just, again, I, I was watching it again and I'm just like, oh my God, I remember seeing all this last year and being like, how do they do this? And and again, they really kind of outlined it well in drive to survive where it is really it is true. Like how, how is this happening? You know? So, um, yeah, so so really love the drive to survive thing, um, and then obviously you know the season started this past weekend. We had the Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, the first race of the twenty three race calendar, the largest I think that there's ever been, uh, and and it was it was, <laughs> I don't know, I mean it was it was good. I think it was a lot of what people were expecting. Um, in your in your preseason testing, obviously Red Bull was was really fast. Um, Mercedes and, and and Ferrari were kind of you know kind of similar. They've been kind of the well the top three, right? It's Red Bull, Mercedes, and, and Ferrari, and then kind of everybody else has been kind of you know, more bottom of the pack or, or middle of the pack, as they say. Um, Mercedes and Ferrari were kind of on pace with each other. Ferrari wasn't super great. Um, but again, a lot of these teams, what they'll do is they'll kind of not show everything that they have in the preseason testing. They just want to make sure that the car runs well. And they say, okay, well, you know, here's our lap times now. If we can add, you know, this specific thing on the on the aerodynamics part of it, then we know that we can gain this many seconds in the race. And then we can really kind of come out and show people and surprise people and be like, wow, you know, this is this is a really great car. Uh, Aston Martin, though, was the, and again, you you know, even even casual F1 sports fans will kind of have, have known that after this weekend, Aston Martin really proved that they were here to stay. They performed performed really really well in preseason testing and Fernando Alonso I think I think was fastest in two of the three sessions um in, in Spain when they did the when they did the press uh, the 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 testing there and he proved it man he came out and he got a podium he came in third um he had a, he made a great move on Carlos Sainz uh to, to kind of you know with, with 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 about 15 laps and that left in the race and and again that just proves that how at 41, this guy is still doing it, right? He's 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 uh he's he's just an all-time F1 racer uh, in general. But but yeah, he came in third. Lance Stroll, the other Aston Martin teammate, he came in sixth. Stroll had actually been dealing with a wrist injury where he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to race uh, in this race. And right, he came out. He was struggling uh, at times. You could see him kind of overcompensate. He he would have to use his left hand to like kind of almost he'd be like almost underneath the steering wheel trying to turn it um, just so he could kind of avoid the, the pain uh, for for his right for his right hand. But I mean, you got you got a top ten finish. You got points. You came in sixth, and and you basically you know are, are right there with the Mercedes and Ferrari crew. Um, but obviously, the overwhelming story is that Red Bull is basically a tank again. Um, they're the horses. Um, Max Verstappen won the race. He he. You know, he qualified on pole. He led the race pretty much the whole time. 
He won the race. Uh, I think he was he finished like 12 seconds in front of uh, Sergio Perez. He finished 40 seconds away from from Fernando Alonso, who clearly was the third best racer, you know, in in this race. Um, and that just goes to show how well Red Bull has has kind of continued their dominance here. Um, you know, it, it was kind of like okay, they may have taken you know overtaken Mercedes uh, two years ago when Max Verstappen won his first drivers' title last year. Wasn't even really close. I think they clinched the the driver's title when it was still with like four or five races to go. I think they clinched it in Japan um, last year. And this year, yeah, just with the articles I've read and everything, that it just seems like it's almost one of those, like, we're going to be waiting until the day that they that he clinches the championship because it's almost like nobody else is going to compete. It, like I, Everything that you see, like if you're following any of the F1 stuff, it's literally – is any are they going to be able to win 23 races or is someone else going to win a race like that's crazy right and and again it's just part of the sport with F1 you know if, if you if you're kind of you know more of a more of a casual fan you only watch the races or you only can't kind of keep up with the drive to survive stuff it's great right but but it just is one of those things where again like it's the premier racing sport in the entire you in the entire world it's it's covered you know by there's so much drama everything that's going on but it's like at the end of the day we kind of already know who's going to win which you know, it, it, again, it's what makes, I think, American sports great in the sense that there is so much parity. Anybody can win at any time, and, and, and it's, it is so hard to do so that you have to go through so many playoff games. You have to, you know, go on road trips, do all this stuff. It's just, it's just such a different dynamic into where, you know, if you build a car that is dynamic and that, you know, you know is, is going to be able to do it, you might not lose in a race for the entire season. Um, so we kind of saw that dominance by Red Bull, and, and that'll probably persist um, throughout the throughout the rest of the season here. So moving into the PGA, um, obviously, like I said, we had uh, we had full swing, which was kind of their initial first season of the you know documentary of of really the PGA season from last year. Um, overall, I, I liked it. Um, it was, it was, it was good. I, I, again, the, the deep dives on, you know, the, who these guys are individually, um, you know, guys like Sahith Tagala, uh, Ian Poulter, Joel Damon, guys who don't really get a lot of press, I would say, as being like the premier elite talents in, in the PGA was really cool to see. Obviously, Tony Finau was, yeah, I mean, seriously, even if you don't, if you don't watch any of Full Swing, watch the Tony Finau, ep- Finau episode, like that guy I can't even. It's amazing. Um, I'm gonna get to it a little bit later, just because I kind of have some some I think closing thoughts on on him. But overall, again, like I said, it was really cool to see the deep dive into these guys' lives. Brooks Kepka too. I mean, sad, sad stuff where he was basically like, "Yeah, I won four out of the last." I, 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 there was a period of time where he won four out of six majors. Um, it was you know he he won the Genesis. He was winning you know all these small tournaments and everything, and then basically just lost it. And he could just kind of he knew that he did, but he didn't know how to fix it. Um, there's just like an entire episode on that that which which I think was I think was really cool too. But here's my thing with with this full swing thing. All right, is the fact that. <laughs> This past year in golf was probably the most, I would say, covered, talked about, drama-filled years because of Liv, all right? Because basically half of the tour left to go to this other league created by the Saudis, you know, halfway across the world, and they're rivaling the PGA and everything is going on, and we didn't really get any of that. Now, I know that obviously it's a little controversial. You don't want to cover everything that, you know, because we're right, you know, they're getting paid all this all this money. Where is the money coming from? All that, I get it, right? I understand why you wouldn't want to... You know, it's not it's not a it's not a documentary about live. It's a documentary about the PGA. But still, it's like you had all of this going for you, 
And you kind of just were like, yeah, let's talk to Sahith Takala about how his dad worked two jobs for him to be able to play golf. Again, amazing story. Shout out to Sahith Takala's dad. You know, he, he, your son is here, man. He's doing it. All right. He, he, he lost it at the Waste Management. That was covered in his episode. Lost the Waste Management last year. But he hey, he's back, man. He came in fourth, I think, at, at Pebble Beach this year. Um, he's in contention. We have the Players' Championship coming up this, this weekend. You know, he's going to be there, too. So it was good the way that they did it. And, again, I think that's, that's kind of what I – what I wanted from it, some a guy who, you know, someone like me who is a very big fan of golf, like, you kind of have to get the individual moments with these guys where we wouldn't be able to see it, you know, in, in like, if you're just kind of following the tour and watching the tournaments and stuff like that. Obviously, they went through, you know, how a cut works in golf and, and stuff like that where, you know, if, if you're, you know, kind of like me, even, even a casual fan of golf, you're like, I know what this is. But, again, they have to do that because – there's going to be people, they want to grow the game, right? I, I totally endorse that. That's why I'm really glad that they're doing something like this, is to get the word out there. I was actually, funny story, me and Hayden talked about, um, we kind of each had our, our vacation weekends two weeks ago. I went to Wisconsin, he went to South Carolina. I was on a, I was on a plane from, it was the Chicago airport, I was, I was in O'Hare, I was flying to Madison, Wisconsin, and I look in front of me on the plane, and there's a lady just watching full swing. It was, the, I, I forget, I think it was a Sahit Tagala episode, um, but yeah, it's just like, she's just, and again, mid-40s probably, you know, middle-aged woman just watching on her iPad. And I'm like, wow. Like, I'm like, this is good. This this proves that this thing is working. Like, the whole Netflix docuseries thing, it really gets people into these sports. And, and you know, whether that's just they're only going to watch the docuseries, hey, you know, at least they're kind of, you know, it's just, I guess, just, you know, getting getting the name out there um, for the for the, for the the tour, you know, at the very least. But um, yeah, so funny story there, side note, but um. But but right, I think that that was what they wanted to do. I think that's what they accomplished. I'm just from from a from a you know, a fan of the game as much as I am. Like I wanted to see the in depth stuff with okay, you know, what is the decisions to go to live right? Like how are you going to do this? And now obviously we saw you know some of these guys, you know, Dustin Johnson and uh, um, I'm trying to think of who who the other guy was who was basically like I'll take oh J- Jason Kokrak. Um, you know, they were basically like yeah. So I mean, you're going to be questioning me about all this money and like you know, well, how could you you know be a trader and go to the live tour over the PGA? It's like. Well, I kind of want to set up generational wealth for my grandkids' grandkids, so I'm going to take the route where I can make a lot more money. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, honestly, I would do the same thing. And me and Hayden have talked about that on the podcast. Like, you know, just just come out and say you're taking the money. Don't say, oh, I think it'll be a great opportunity to grow the, the game of golf in, you know, in, in, in the Middle Eastern countries there where, I, you know, I'll be able to, you know, show my pride for – and it's like, no, like, no, you're just – you're taking the money. So just say you're taking the money and that's fine, right? Um, but, but, yeah, overall great, I think – just the series in general um for 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 full swing i really liked it like i said you know it's it's they i'm glad that they did the kind of explain how golf worked to me as a as a very you know great big fan of of golf and just you know really i i again i love it i mean it's super intense um that wasn't very you know like and two they did like a justin thomas jordan speed thing where it's like oh well you know you know uh justin thomas has been so much better than jordan speed over the past it's like no, like not not even in the slightest. Justin Thomas won the PGA last year. He's won two majors. Okay, great. Uh, I don't think he's had a single PGA Tour win in probably three, four years now. Uh, he, I mean, he won the Players two years ago, but again, you know, whatever. He has the Players in the PGA Championship last year. Besides that, he he hasn't really won anything in the last four years. I think um, Jordan Spieth is is basically right there with him. So. Um. Yeah. So again, stuff like that where I'm like, okay, you know, these these guys are are not really like. 
you know, the story, the storyline, I think, is a little bit kind of, you know, interesting there, what they chose to show and everything. But overall, I said, like I said, it was really good. I really enjoyed it and glad they're kind of, you know, trying to, to at least kind of go the, grow the game a little bit uh, beyond just kind of your, you know, your people like me who are very big fans and also people who gamble on it, which is kind of why I got into it in the first place. Um, obviously, you know, right, whatever. Uh Little bit of because I talked about you know F1 season everything that happened with the race weekend. Little bit of golf talk here. Uh, Bay Hill this past weekend. Um, Kirk Kitayama, like guy came out of nowhere. Congrats to him. He's a bomber, right? Bombers and putters. They're they're good at Bay Hill. Bay Hill's a very very tough track, and we saw that the score was minus nine. You had all these guys, you know, Harris English, Jordan Spieth, Xander Shoffley, you know, all kind of Roy McIlroy was right there at the top. Um, really be challenged by this course. I love that. I love when that is, you know, when golf is like that, and it's not like you know when we're at when we're at you know TPC Twin Cities in Minnesota where these guys are getting like twenty, you know, minus twenty five. Like, what are we doing? You know, come on. Um, but yeah, Kirk Kiyama, like he had the lead after after Friday. John Rom coming out and. and and with a scorching 65 on Thursday, you're like, oh my God, is this guy really just going to be the Scotty Scheffler of this year and win every single tournament uh, that he's going to play? Like, no, that actually didn't happen. He really actually, I think he lost like like 12 strokes, um, strokes again off the tee. Like, I don't even know, I guess cross Friday, Friday through Sunday, um, you know, he, he, he made the cut and then just kind of faded from there. Um, but it was good to see a guy like Kirk Kadeyama get his first PGA Tour win. He was winning after Friday at minus nine, you know, had some struggles. I think he quadruple bogeyed on or triple bogeyed on Sunday or something. You know, kind of worked his way back at a clutch birdie on 17, and, and he's off to the races. Um, so that was – it was really cool to see him win. Um, this coming weekend, we got the Players' Championship. So, I mean, obviously, TPC Sawgrass, you know, basically called the fifth major. Um, you had Justin Thomas win two years ago. Last year, Cam Smith won. Again, RIP to Cam Smith. He – uh, you know, decided to go to live as well. So, um, you know, this week is going to be, it's going to be interesting. Obviously you kind of have all your heavy hitters are going to be out there. Um, it's, it's very tough as well. I would say Bay Hill and, and TPC Sawgrass are not, they're not, they're not in the same golf course, but they're similarly styled in the sense that there's just water everywhere. Right. And so that's kind of the thing is it's one of those deals where, it's so easy to get really high scores on these holes just because if you hit in the water, like that's an automatic drop, right? You're not like, okay, I can maybe find this ball in the woods somewhere and hit a draw out of the out of, out of here and, and end up on the green. Um, it is no, you will not be able to hit your ball because it is in the water and you're going to have to take a drop a drop shot. So uh, we'll see. I think it'll be interesting. Like I said, you know, I mean, pretty much, you know, I mean, Rom is obviously going to be the favorite. I don't think Rom's going to win. Um, I, I hope that, you know, he kind of gets back from where he was last year and, or last week uh, when he really had a, a, a bad end there. Um, but obviously, you know, you, you have your Dustin Thomas, Sanders Shoffley, they're all going to be there. Um, and, and Tony, Fee- oh, Tony Finau, forgot to mention him for the, um, at the, at the full swing episode. Yeah, seriously, that his episode was like, I was like almost in tears. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's, and, and he was kind of the joke, right? Of the PGA tour for, for a while there where like he won in Puerto Rico, you know, like, like 10 years ago and then didn't win for like eight years. And he was always in contention. It was like, oh, he's going to win the masters. And then he just kind of comes in fifth and, you know, you kind of feel bad for the guy. This past year, though, he finally he finally took it down the Northern Trust. I think in, in July or August of last year, um, and and it was like wow, you know, he he did it. He finally he finally, and then he won like three out of the next five tournaments he played. And it's like God, like yes, like this guy's back. But 
I mean, seeing that Netflix episode, I was like, holy crap. Like, you know, his family and everything. Just just so much going on there. Like, seriously, just just watch it if you haven't. Um, you know, very very much a tearjerker, but very happy for a guy who is, you know, kind of a well-deserved winner now. Me and Hayden would make – seriously, we would make fun of him because we'd be like, he's always mentioned and he never does anything. Like, can he please win? And, right, to know that kind of everything – was going on behind the scenes there. Um, and then obviously he, you know, he started, he started to go on his win streak, which is very well deserved um, for, for Tony Fino there. So there you go. So that's drive to survive and that's full swing. We kind of did both of those going into little college football here. Um, realignment talk. Obviously, you know, we had the Big Ten, the SEC, everything's happening. Texas, Oklahoma going to the SEC, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Now we're looking at the ACC and the Pac-12. So the Clemson and Florida State athletic directors both kind of came out a couple weeks ago and were basically like, hey, so we're really big brands in the ACC and nobody's making enough money to be able to compete in the future of the NIL era and all of this. And you know what this is about? Please go back to August of last year. Listen to me and Hayden's four-episode series on the NIL, college football, NCAA. Well, we call it the NCAA Doomsday Series because it's the it's the fall of the NCAA, basically. Um, but so essentially what happens is the conferences all sign TV deals with TV partners, right? And so the ACC a long probably three or four years ago signed a deal with AC with the with ESPN which basically just broadcasts all of their games, right? And not only did they sign the deal at a kind of a lower cost than they than they but what people were thinking, you know, even 3 or 4 years ago, they signed the contract through 2035. <laughs> okay? So I think it was 2020. So it should, yeah, I think it was 2020. So 15 years worth of contract being paid the same amount, right? So the same amount of money is paid to the school, well, the conference as a whole and the conference distributes it to the schools. Same amount of money for 15 years. And we've just seen even in the last 3 years how much money college how much money is in college football just because of the NIL era, everything that's happening there. The TV deals are, are out of the are off the chain now the Big 10 just sign their TV deal for basically a billion, two billion dollars or something like that. And then all the schools are going to make so much money from that. And so that's what's behind this. And, and again, anytime, like seriously, and, and, and this is like, this is from all the research that we did and everything last, last summer, everything, obviously everything revolves around money, but the biggest money maker, the biggest money deal, everything that happens regarding college football is the TV deals that the conferences sign with the TV networks. Okay. That's it. Because that's that is the biggest gener- money generator for not only the networks and the TV you know partners who, who who show these games, but also the schools and the conferences who play those games. Okay, which is why we have all of this controversy coming up from from the ACC, where it's like, yo, it, if we don't find a way to kind of restructure this deal so that we can get in, you know, even close to the amount of money share and revenue splits the Big Ten and the SEC are getting. We're not going to be able to compete with them. We kind of already don't, and it's only going to get worse if we don't restructure a deal where we can make more money. Obviously, on the ESPN side of things, they're like, hey, we signed a cheap deal, man. We're not, we don't care, right? We're not going to give you all this extra money. But then it's like, okay, it actually becomes an integrity of the game thing at that point because at that point, you're thinking, well, hey, in this deal, you know, this new era of NIL and, and you know, players are able to make money and everything like that. And eventually, which is going to happen, I'm telling you, players are going to become employees and and that way you kind of won't have to worry about the whole um, NIL thing. But either way, a lot of the money that the school makes come from these TV deals. And if the schools are not going to be able to make even compete close to what, I mean, I think they're they're already making less per year than um, than the Big Twelve and the SEC are, and the Big Twelve and the SEC TV deals. I think then I think the Big Twelve signed a eight year contract, so theirs is up in twenty twenty. 
or six years, 20, 2030 or something like that. So it's like each of the Big 12, and, or the, sorry, the Big 10 and the SEC, they're already making more money than the ACC is just based on the college, on the, on the TV deals that they signed in, in the past couple of years. They're going to have new TV deals, new contracts, new money, new everything before the ACC even does in the next contract that they do. So it's like their their position in this whole realm is basically going to get doubly worse because of, you know, the disadvantages that they're going to have regarding the, you know, regarding the TV deal. So that is kind of an interesting thing that boiled up a little bit last week. We didn't really hear much about like what things were actually said um, or, or, or any proposed changes or something, but and it's just like one of those things where it's like, you know, you, you kind of Clemson and Florida state are by far your, your biggest programs. They're the best, you know, talent, you know, most exciting, most watched best chance to get to the college football playoff and all this stuff. Um, you know, and if they're threatening to move or at least, you know, kind of start murmuring about moving, like you, you're going to have to do something. So it'll be interesting to see what the ACC does in terms of their, 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 their TV deal kind of here in the next few years. Um, and whether or not, or whether or not, it just ends up being two major conferences, the Big Ten and the, and the SEC, and kind of everything below that. Um, similarly, the Big 12, as we know, are, are losing kind of their two biggest programs in Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC next year, um, bringing in, obviously, BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati into this year's Big 12. Uh, but, you know, kind of after that, they're, you know, you're right, that's a lot of money. The big the, the Texas has their own network, right? So, again, a lot of money being lost uh, from those programs going to the SEC. They were talking about um, getting uh, team, I think, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado uh, kind of, you know, making a deal with them because they're working on a TV deal and, and kind of how they're going to, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, you know, advertise their product. And, and again, you know, you're gonna, you want to keep the conference alive if you, if you, if you can. Um, but obviously, we're all kind of waiting on the Pac-12 to sign their TV deal. And it's like, who's going to want these Pac-12 games? Because, yeah, the Pac-12 was really great, and I love watching the Pac-12. But at the same time, if those games – I mean, I live on the East Coast. If those games start at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, like – they're not gonna be over till two a.m. and and I I, I physically cannot as, as long even though it's on a you know Saturday night like I don't have the patience I don't have the ability to just stay up and watch that you know so they're gonna have to do something in their TV deal that kind of just makes it and and as and for that reason a lot of these major network televisions like don't really want the Pac-12 which is which is you know kind of the the sad thing about this obviously so something's gonna get done um but we'll see because maybe the Big 12 will be able to kind of poach a, a couple of their teams which you know again so it, that would that would kind of that would suck because like I said I love the Pac-12 but you know it's all gonna depend on kind of the TV deal and what happens there Finally, the MLB. We got to give some love to the MLB, all right? Baseball is approaching. Uh, opening day, I think, is March 31st this year. So we got about three weeks out from there. Um, it is going to be interesting, all right? So we have some rule changes. Obviously, the bases were increased in size. I don't know exactly how much, um, but the bases are bigger now. So that's one thing. The other thing, which is kind of the, 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 the bigger thing, um, is the pitch clock. And so this is actually the first time that professional baseball has tested a pitch clock or, well, has implemented a, a, a pitch clock. The results are in, at least from the first couple of weeks of spring training, and the game times have decreased by an average of, I think, 24 minutes. Different reports from different websites, and one was like 23, one was 26. Um, but, you know, somewhere around there. The question becomes, is this enough to solve the biggest problem in baseball, which is the fact that all these games are boring and nobody wants to watch them? I don't know. What I do know is 
it's going to be higher scoring, I think, right? So, A, the pitch clock decreases the amount of time that the pitcher has to talk with the catcher, right? When Because the, the catchers are calling the pitch. The pitchers are like, okay, yeah, I want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. They, you know, go through their list of things and they pitch the ball. With 15 seconds, I don't know how much time the pitchers and the catchers are going to have to be able to just go through their whole rotation. Oh, do you you know you feeling good about this one? No, no, let's just move on to the next one. How about this one? No, no, let's let's, let's go to the third one. Okay, yeah, let's do that one and then pitch it. You're not going to have to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. Um, there's not going to be that much time. So, so I think that. And then in addition to this, the bases being bigger, actually, I mean, baseball's a game of inches. We see all the time, you know, like how close it is if you're, you know, you're trying to throw a runner out at first and they get their hand down on the base, you know, before the, before the, before the, the, the first baseman's able to catch the ball and, and, and tag it. With the bases being bigger, that allows for more chances for runners to get on base. Not only get on base after hitting it, you know, whether, you know, you slide into first or second or whatever, but also stealing. So when the pitcher only has 15 seconds to, to, to throw a pitch, and they're like, okay, I need to really focus on what pitch I'm going to throw here. You know, the, the runner can be taken off from first and go to second, steal a base. Um, and and with those extra inches that they have, that with the bases being bigger, um, there's a bigger chance that you might be able to kind of you know, steal some bases, right? And get more guys on base. You hit, a, you get one good hit, and it's more chance uh, to score. So I think, again, the, the the time of the game, like with it being you know twenty something minutes, like it's good, right? Obviously, I think you know that'll that at least take it under three hours. But again, you know, for watching a TV product of baseball, you know, watching it on TV, I think it's going to be interesting to see like how the pitch clock really kind of changes the guys, you know, momentum and, and, and how that they want to work every pitch and everything. And it does kind of give you a, and we even saw in, in, in spring training, uh, there was a game that ended on a pitch clock violation. So like they didn't get the pitch in in time. And that was the last, you know, basically last ball of the game or last um, thing of the game. And they, the game ended because of the pitch clock violation, which I think is, again, that's just a, that's a natural consequence of, of adding a rule change like this, which I like, I like that that can be a thing that happens, you know, um, and, and just trying to speed up the game. So I don't know if it'll actually really speed up the game. Like, a ton, but I do think that'll cause more scoring. And some of these games are, you know, high scoring, but we've seen, and me and Hayden did actually, I think multiple topics about this last season was the fact that these pitchers are getting too good for hitters. Like, and, and with the analytics and everything where there's like, you know, basically throwing in another pitcher there in there every two innings, all these pitchers are fresh. You know, they're, they're, they're never just throwing, you know, absolute meatballs down the middle. And, 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 you know, the guys are, 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 are kind of cracking them off after that. It, it it has really been a struggle for batters to to hit the ball, and we've seen too just in the general kind of you know trans trans I don't know the the general way the game has gone in the last few years has basically been either strikeouts or home runs, right? Because that's kind of what is I guess entertaining for you know for your general viewer. I don't know. For me, I want to see there be more scoring, and I think this will help the scoring increase. Um, whether that's f- for good or for bad, I'm not sure. But I think in addition to the average game time decreasing, which is probably the biggest problem. The other biggest problem is there, if like if a game ends two nothing, like. You just wasted three hours of your life watching two runs be scored, and that could have been on you know an, a, a wild pitch thrown out you know by by the by the dugout over there, and the guy runs from third to third to home, and then another you got a single home run in there for for three hours worth of your time. I don't think that's really entertaining. So if they're trying to increase the scoring, or well, they're trying to decrease the amount of the game time, but I think this will inadvertently create a higher average score, which I think is very entertaining at least for me so um again not a huge baseball fan in terms of the the you know very analytic you know minute stuff but again we'll kind of see how that goes along um as as the season goes along so wow here we are a minute or a minute 
an hour and ten minutes later, um, where I didn't even take a single break in there. Sometimes I pause it and then go back and record. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do that once. Um, that was just that was off the cuff. That was off the dome, people, uh, as they like to say. So. Thank you so much for listening to tuning into this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, it was just me today. Hayden will be back for the next episode that we do a conference tournament deep dive on you know Power 5 conferences. We'll go through our whole brackets and everything. And then obviously Selection Sunday is this Sunday. So get hyped for that. We will have our entire bracket breakdown and everything uh, next week, early next week. We'll do, you know, we'll do the, the whole bracket thing. Um, so very excited for that. Obviously, again, like I said, thank you for, thank you for, for, for listening. Um, follow the Twitter. It's first down rundown or no first down RD pod um, on Twitter. Please follow it because we're going to start actually doing stuff with social media uh, once I move and everything and, and, and we kind of get everything straight. We're going to go back to two episodes a week uh, right when kind of football and basketball are both over. But hey, it'll be fine. We're, we're going to make it work. Obviously, we love our fans. We love doing this. This is my passion, uh, which is why I'm always back here every week for a new episode. So yes, uh, thank you so much for listening. Go back to listen to other pods. If you haven't, or if you missed them, um, we've had some really good ones recently come out and then obviously get excited for March madness, everything that we have to come in the next two weeks. Um, and for that, that is pretty much it. So like I said, thank you again. And, and we'll see you guys back here on Thursday for our deep dive and conference tournaments.